I'm Don Mockholtz, and you are listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 112, for the week of February 23rd, 2022. The related website for this podcast is donmacholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com, two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, February 23rd, the moon will be half full in the morning sky. Last quarter, which is when the moon is half full in the morning sky, is that date. Wednesday, February 23rd at 2231 Universal Time. By next Tuesday, March 1st, the moon will be a tiny crescent in our morning sky, reaching new moon the next day. This weekend, February 26th and 27th, the moon passes well south of the very bright planet Venus in the morning sky. So, weather permitting, dark skies lie ahead for sky watching. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week, which for our purposes begins Wednesday, February 23rd through Tuesday, March 1st? It depends upon where you are located. This week we have seven zones. All you need to know is your latitude. In two zones you will not see it at all. They are north of 63 degrees north, and in the equatorial zone, between 30 degrees north and 27 degrees south, the ISS will not be in your nighttime sky. Now that is you, Mexico, the Sudan, India, Brazil, and Colombia. It may be in your daytime sky. I've, I've tried seeing the ISS during the day, but have so far not been able to see it then. Between 36 and 63 degrees north, the International Space Station will be in your morning sky for the whole week, sometimes twice per morning. That is you, Canada and England. Between 30 and 36 degrees north, it will be in your morning sky for only the first part of the week. In the southern hemisphere, it is in the evening sky. Between 40 and 27 degrees south, the ISS will be in your evening sky for the second part of the week. Australia, it's party time. As you move further south, from minus 54 to minus 40 degrees, it's in your evening sky for the whole week, sometimes twice per night. Now that's you, New Zealand. Finally, south of minus 54 degrees, it's in your evening sky for only the first part of the week. The International Space Station appears as a bright, slow-moving, star-like object moving across the sky, and it takes several minutes to, to transverse the sky. The ISS is, uh, has several people on it from different nations. 
Russia is one of the countries that is sponsoring the space station. At this point, that still seems to be fairly stable. But in the future, who knows what's going to happen. To determine where it will be in your sky, go to the website heavens-above.com, enter your location, then click on the words ISS. Lots of comets are still visible in both our evening and morning skies. They are plotted on Podcast 112, Maps 1 and 2. To get the most accurate and up-to-date positions for these comets, again, go to the website heavens-above.com and click on Comets. There you will find the positions and maps for each comet. The things I think about while comet hunting. Yeah, while I'm out there looking through the telescope, sweeping the sky looking for fuzzy objects, I have some reserve brain power and spend that time thinking about things. The other night, I was thinking about the first time I heard that visual comet hunting was a competitive sport. When I began systematic searches on January 1st, 1975, I did not think of it that way. I knew that other, others were searching but I never thought of it as being competitive. It wasn't until about a decade later, while reading a magazine article about another comet hunter, that the words competitive comet hunting were used. I suddenly realized that it is. But the word competitive suggests that us comet hunters dislike each other or that we wish the worst for those other guys. I am not that way, and I don't think most other comet hunters are. When a comet was visually discovered by someone else that I could have found, I do get depressed, not because that other person found a comet, but because I missed a discoverable comet, and my comet hunting program, which was always in the process of being improved, had missed it. You probably do not know it, but often we congratulate each other in phone calls, letters, or emails upon the discovery of a comet. I remember with my first comet discovery in 1978, I received letters from several comet hunters with congratulations and a telegram from John Bennett, Jack Bennett, he was also known as, who was a comet hunter in South Africa. He sent me a telegram also congratulating me. Us comet hunters always have had more in common with each other than we had to separate us. Now I'd like to talk about another comet hunter and a couple mysteries that have always bothered me. Charles Messier was a comet hunter in Paris, France, between 1758 and the year 1800. He published a couple of catalogs of galaxies, clusters, and nebula. Here's a couple of things I've wondered about. First, this catalog took decades to compile because Charles Messe would find and log the object based upon two sources. 
In other words, how did he learn about these new objects? First, he saw the catalogs of others and heard about new objects from others, especially his assistant, Pierre Meshian. The catalogs would say there is a nebulous object in such and such a part of the sky. And on more than 20 occasions of his 110 objects, Pierre Meshian would tell Messier, I picked up this object last night, I think it's a nebula, and here's its position. Messier always gave credit to those people when they were first to find them. Now, the other source for the objects that he cataloged was that he would pick them up while comet hunting. What has puzzled me for some time is that it took decades for him to find all these objects. Now, I say that only because whenever he recorded a new object for his catalog, he listed the date, the position, which he himself had measured, and a description of the object. He first began picking up objects in 1758 and discovered his last known object in the spring of 1781. Now, he was comet hunting all during that time and well past that because his comet discoveries spanned the years 1760 through 1801. It seems to me that if he was covering the whole sky even once a year, all or almost all of those objects would have been found in the first couple of years and not have been undiscovered until 1781. Now, there's a few solutions to this puzzle. One, perhaps he had seen all of these objects early on, but did not go back and record their exact position and write a description until he was preparing his catalog. This is a possibility. I do not know if this is true because the recording dates for the objects are, are scattered throughout the decades with a few of them bunching up on several dates just before the publication of each of his catalog installments. I'm presently doing something similar to what Charles Messier has done. I have a list of over 200 objects that I've seen while comet hunting over 46 years, and I'm now going back over them to study each and determine what they were. Hint, many of them are star asterisms of two or more stars, tiny, a few arc minutes in size, and magnitude 10 through 13. Someday, I hope to compile all of these into a book, and when I do, I will be able to disclose the date and time that I first saw each. It seems as though Charles Messe would also say in his description that he first saw whatever object 10 years ago or whenever and is recording it on, on, on this date years later. But he does not say that. He only states the date he observed them and determined their positions. Number two, perhaps he did not find those objects until he actually recorded them in his catalog. If so, then when he swept the sky, he must have had inconsistencies in his sweep pattern such that he did not cover the sky thoroughly. Number three, Perhaps he used better telescopes and got better at seeing faint objects as the years went on. 
We know he used a three and a half inch refractor at about 120 power and also a six inch reflector. Perhaps he missed those fainter objects early on due to these factors. Someday, I hope to be able to find the answer to all this. I'll let you know when I do. But I think I have figured out another mystery about Charles Messier's first catalog. He wrote his first catalog in 1769. Consisted of 45 objects, M1 through M45. The last few objects have always seemed to me to be thrown in on the last minute to make it an even 45 objects. Here's a short history of the last few objects. He recorded M40 on October 24th, 1764. And this object is actually a double star. Now he looked at it because it was in a catalog published by Hevelius more than a century before. And Charles Messier wanted to see if it existed to get a position and a description to put it into his catalog. He saw them for what they are, two stars. Three months later, on January 16th, 1765, he recorded his next object, M41, an open star cluster just south of the bright, bright star Cirrus. This cluster had been recorded by others, so it was not an original discovery for Messier. Four years pass. Then on March 4th, 1769, remember that date, Messier records M42, the famous Orion Nebula, known for more than a century. That same night, he records M43, which is a small part of M42. On that same night, March 4th, 1769, he records M44, the beehive cluster known for cent centuries. And finally, on the same night, he records M45, the Pleiades, the Seven Sisters, known also for centuries. I've often wondered why the push to increase the catalog from 41 to 45 objects by adding a few easy objects to the last minute. I have wondered this for decades. And early on, I, I looked it up to see if he was maybe 45 years old that year and therefore wanted 45 objects in his catalog. Nope, he was 39 years old that year. While I was driving down the freeway the other day, pondering this, that's what I do, a solution hit me that may be the answer. And I'll go with this one until a better one comes along. The Abbe Nicholas Louis de la Cal known as Lacalle for short, was an astronomer who went to the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa to study the stars between 1751 and 1753. He had several astronomical accomplishments, not the least of which was a catalog of 42 nebula and star clusters. Oddly, he divided them up into three categories of 14 each. 
The only other time I have seen that is in St. Matthew's genealogy in the scripture, which was also three sets of 14. Anyway, LaSalle's catalog of 42 objects was published and circulated, and Messier had the catalog too, and he double-checked some of the objects. He then included some of them in his catalog. He gave credit to LaSalle. See, for example, his descriptions of M4, M55, M69, M83. LaSalle passed away in 1762, and Messier would have known that too. So I think that Messier thought that with LaSalle gone, he would publish his catalog. And while LaSalle had 42 objects, some of them misplotted and could not be found, Messier upped his count from 41 to 45 to have a larger catalog than LaSalle's. This was not so much to outdo him, for LaSalle was dead. What did he care? But Messier believed that the catalog should grow in size as time went on and more objects were discovered. Anyway, this makes sense to me, and I'll stick with that one unless a better explanation comes along. This week, we look at the galaxy high in our evening sky. It is NGC, standing for New General Catalog, 891. That is NGC 891. It is a galaxy outside of our galaxy. It's seen nearly edge-on, and it's fairly bright, magnitude 9.9. It measures 12 by 1 arc minutes in size. It's about 28 million light-years away, and it's plotted on Podcast 112, Map 3. Some people have had trouble finding and observing this galaxy. It is long and narrow, 12 by 1 arc minutes, so it is easy to sweep over. When comet hunting this area in the old days with my 10-inch reflector, 36 power, and 5.3-inch homemade binoculars, 29 power, I I would often miss picking up this galaxy. Nowadays, with my larger 18-inch reflector, I pick it up every time I sweep the area. So get out there and see this galaxy, NGC 891. Now for fun with the marathon. The Messe Marathon is an event to attempt in one night to find all or nearly all of the 110 galaxies, clusters, and nebula cataloged by Charles Messier more than 200 years ago. They are some of the brightest and best such objects visible from the Northern Hemisphere. In late March of each year, the sun is placed in a location where there are no Messier objects, and therefore all 10 of them can be seen from dusk to dawn from mid-Northern latitudes. This year, The best weekend is Saturday-Sunday, March 26th, 27th, more than a month away. The moon will be a crescent in the morning sky, causing only some minor difficulties with finding all the objects. 
I discussed that in detail on Podcast 108. You can get that from my website and prepare for the difficulty with that night. In the weeks before the actual Messe Marathon, it's a good idea to get out there and practice. I do that almost every year. Go through at least the first 10 objects. They are in the evening sky. And they are easier to see now than they will be in March. That is because as the Earth goes around the sun, the sky with the stars and all such objects set about four minutes earlier each night. Here in February, from the end of astronomical twilight until they start setting is more than two hours of time. So you do have plenty of time to pick them up. Or, if you want to do this, wait a couple hours until they're about ready to set, as they would be in late March, and then go through these objects. We begin with the Galaxy M77, which is almost due west. It is small and compact and shows well in twilight. We can start on that object before the sky gets completely dark. Next, we move on to M74, which perhaps is the most difficult evening object during the Messe Marathon. It is a diffuse galaxy seen nearly face-on. When you practice on this object, get to know the guide stars that leads one to the galaxy's exact position. Many times during the marathon, I have had the object right in my field of view, but it is near the limit of visibility. The key, then, is to keep watching the area in which it is located, waiting for it to pop into view as the sky darkens. Even if you use setting circles and a go-to telescope to take you to the field of view, it will only get you to within about a degree, and if it's aligned perfectly, it will put it in the center. It still would be a good thing to know the stars in the immediate region. Our next object is M33, also a diffuse object, but a bit higher in the sky. It is large, more than a half a degree in diameter. So practice finding and observing it so that during the marathon, you'll know what to look for. Our next three objects are close to each other, M31, which is the Andromeda Galaxy, and its two satellite galaxies, M32 and M110. The first two objects are easy. One is bright and big, the other is small and condensed. But M110 causes some problems due to twilight and being at a low altitude. Practice finding it, because during the marathon night, the stars will not be much fainter, but the galaxy will be. May our galaxy wrap its arms around you. I bet no one has ever said that to you before. In fact, it's already doing that. To recap the podcast, what's up this coming week? Go out and observe the Galaxy NGC 891. And practice for the Messe Marathon. And go see some comets. You have been listening to Looking Up with Don, podcast episode number 112 for February 23rd, 2022. I'm Don Mockholtz. 
Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmacholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com, two H's. That is where you will find all of my podcasts, the maps that go with each podcast, stories of each of my comet discoveries. You can also find my free book, A Decade of Comets. You can contact me at dontheastronomer at gmail.com. Once again, that's dontheastronomer at gmail.com. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. I will explain how, under light polluted skies, I was able to do some comet hunting from San Jose, California in the late 1980s, and how you too can observe deep sky objects under light polluted skies. All that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week.